Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Good afternoon, Canada. Today's date is November 12th, 2020, and we're back with a full episode of Canadian Common Sense, and I am Tony out here in Saskatchewan. And I'm Lewis out here in BC. We had technical difficulties um, last week, uh, not able to get our uh, audio to match up properly, so we uh, had to just do a series of rants instead, and uh, we got quite a few in. So uh, I suggest everybody go back and have a l- listen to those. Uh, some of them are pretty good. Um, so, uh, yeah, in, but enjoy the show today because we're back. We are, and yes, thank you for sticking with us. And we see by our numbers that our audience definitely prefers the, uh, the full episode. So here we have one for you today, and apologies that it took us two weeks. But uh, as a side note, when we started this show, and it's going on three years now, I remember uh, thinking, like, how are we going to you know, get enough material to talk about Canadian politics on a weekly basis? And I think that, Lewis, you even said, well, maybe we should just go biweekly. But on a weekly show, there's actually, we leave so much on the table. There's just nothing but material for us that we end up having to do a few rants just to get everything in. So I'm... Uh, I'm actually quite impressed that there is this much going on in Canadian politics that we never stop. Well, I, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, like that's why we end up with those rants because we, we, they're usually on topics that we think, Oh man, we'd better, we better address this now because we're not going to be able to address it on next week's show. We just have too much to talk about. So, um, but I don't know that I would use the word impressed. I, I, I think I would <laughs> use the word uh, unimpressed that we have this much to talk about. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. And before we begin here, I do want to declare that as of now, Canadian common sense is a U.S. election free zone because as you pointed out when we were texting throughout the week, Lewis, the mainstream media in Canada has gone over and above their capacity to cover this election. And I am just tired of the, how did, what did you put it? How did you put it? Circus down south? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the CTV actually dedicated more more time to covering the U.S. presidential election than they did to our last federal election. Yeah, exactly. So uh, so there will be no more U.S. election coverage on this show. But what yeah. will be on this show today is you're going to be surprised more Liberal Party of Canada corruption and the Calgary City Council has voted to defund its police service. And COVID cases are up, lockdowns are in place, and we now have some COVID camps. Where do you want to start, my friend? Well, let's let's start with um, the COVID camps. Sure. So we've got um, cases of COVID are now on the rise, and... The Eastern Canadian media will tell you that Western Canada is on fire with COVID-19 right now. I don't know if I would go quite that far. Cases are definitely up here in Saskatchewan, and I know that they are up in every province in the West. But 
I think the situation in BC, like it's, uh, it's still more a lower mainland problem, is it not? Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah, I mean, we are seeing a rise in cases uh, uh, throughout the rest of the province, but like we said before, cases do not equal deaths. Um, deaths are are up a little, but not very much because we do know a lot more about this virus than we did six months ago or seven months ago and the survival rates are actually increasing dramatically uh, because we know how to treat it a lot better now i am going to uh for the sake of of honesty and clarity here i have to declare that uh anybody out there who believes that this is a scam or a hoax um you can stop listening to this show right now because uh, my sister and her entire family have tested positive and they have it. Um, my, my brother-in-law and uh, one of their kids just had some congestion, some sniffles, got over it within three days. Um, my sister on the other hand is in pretty rough shape. Uh, she's, She's had a fever of 40 degrees for, we're going on day seven now. Um, she has, uh, at one point, she lost her sense of smell, her sense of taste. Uh, two days ago, it got, uh, she got out of bed to go to use the, the washroom, and her temperature and blood pressure uh, dropped instantly uh her her core temp dropped down to hypothermia levels um within a matter of seconds her blood pressure dropped through the floor like it was she couldn't move her hands her hands were completely useless she couldn't even use them she couldn't get herself off the toilet her uh um and and then she lost her sight and her hearing oh my goodness. Uh, for, for about 15 minutes, she couldn't hear or see. And they had to get the uh, paramedics to come. They uh, told her, and this is the scary part. They told her that this is normal. Wow. That they see this a lot. And that this is a sign that uh, she is entering the final stages of COVID, and that she should be she should be able to kick it within the next uh, five to seven days. Um, well, this, that's good news. That is good news. But that is, they told her that they see this all the time. The fact that she went blind and deaf. And her temperature and blood pressure dropped instantly. Like this is this is really scary stuff. Like it's real. I want to make that very very clear. This is very real. I have never said it wasn't real. I don't believe you've ever said it wasn't real. No. Nope. This this is a very real thing. And uh, but again. You and I have always stated, and this is fact, for the vast majority of people, they get minor to no symptoms at all. And 
the mortality rate is extremely low. But for those that it does hit hard, it hits really hard. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Now, because cases are up, now governments are starting to talk about you know, increased safety measures. I know here in Saskatchewan, they've decided to clamp down and make gathering sizes smaller. And they've mandated masks in our larger cities. But what's happened in one province to the east of me in Manitoba is they've actually gone right back into full lockdown. So now the schools are still open, but basically everything else is closed. I mean, the grocery stores are now at 25% capacity. And I believe that the the gatherings are limited only to people within your your family bubble. So it's... uh, yeah. And this is the the part about COVID I don't like is that I think they've gone just a little bit extreme on lockdown measures, but also in Manitoba, we now have our first COVID camp. Now, I don't know that it's actually being used yet, but the Manitoba Métis Federation actually has a, a camp set up in Treehern, Manitoba, which is in southern Manitoba. So it's a very small little town. And... They've got this camp, and originally it was actually set up to be, I don't know if I want to say if it was like a like a youth detention center, um, meant for, for, for girls at any rate. And the Métis Federation has actually converted this into a, a camp for, you know, for COVID isolation, and they actually have come right out and said they want a contract to do this across Canada. So they're obviously prepared to make more if they're, if they get this contract. So... I've seen the pictures of it in the media and it looks like a, like a prison because it's got the razor wire fences all around it. And the Métis Federation to their credit has not apologized. They've said, well, you know, we do want to keep people in, but yes, this does look kind of ominous. And then at least they're, you know, open about the history of the place, but as ominous as it looks, I actually don't think it's a bad idea. No. uh, And this is something that you and I have actually called for. Um, Yeah. We, we've said uh, for the last several weeks, where are these COVID-specific facilities that, you know, we should have, like, we're, we're like, what, eight, nine months in, nine months in now, and, and we're just now seeing the first COVID-specific uh, facility. Like, this has taken way too long. And, and now that it has happened, I mean, it, they... They should try to make it a little bit more welcoming, <laughs> but, yeah. but, but it's, it's exactly what, what we've been asking for and, and kudos to them. And, and it's funny because when you posted that on your own personal Facebook page, like, I think I was the only one who said, Hey, good for them. <laughs> and the other comments are all like, that's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I guess they, 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 I think my other friends must have been, taken a position that, oh, you're treating them people like lepers. Well, yeah, but we're isolating them and allowing the rest of the population to keep working and keep the country moving, which is actually what you and I were saying way back in March. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, finally. that's the most important thing. I'm, I'm actually quite uh, disappointed in the Manitoba government for doing what they're doing. Um, it's, I mean, you can't, you can't keep doing this. Because, like we said before, the the cure for this pandemic is killing more people than the pandemic is. And we can't 
keep doing this. No, but on a lighter note, Dr. Teresa Tam, just today, in fact, at least I read it today anyway, has offered up some more advice for Canadians on new ways to battle COVID-19. And you're going to love this one, Lewis. And Canada, I'm sure you're going to love this too. Dr. Tam, and I, I'm sure she was being serious, and but <laughs> it's going to be hard to keep a straight face. Dr. Tam has suggested that to help Canadians battle COVID-19, Canadians should, and I'm going to quote, practice holding your breath for extended periods of time, end quote. <laughs> um, okay. Dr. Tam, you first. Yeah, and please make it a very extended period of time. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? This is... That's almost as bad as BC, uh, the Ministry of Health in BC here, telling people that safe sex includes glory holes. I mean, oh my god, that's this is this is insane. Like governments are, and and these are the people we want to keep giving more and more power to. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. And uh, here in Saskatchewan, there was a. Uh, a letter penned by about 300 physicians anyway, which is roughly 10% of the physicians in the province to the government. And it was, it was a very vague kind of open, you know, open to interpretation letter, just saying that, you know, they're applauding the government for what they're doing, but they're also at the same time encouraging the government to take on, you know, more strict measures if necessary. And then, on one of our local talk radio shows, they actually had quoted one doctor who was saying, the, oh, the government's not going far enough. And she was actually in favor of of more more lockdowns. And I just thought, this is the problem when you're not in business for yourself and you're living off the government because your paycheck never stops. Yeah. But people who actually have to earn the money to pay your paycheck, well, we actually need to get out of the house. Yeah. Okay. I, I, it, and that's exactly right. I mean, this is, uh, I, I know even my, our, our, our local uh, pub here in our town, I mean, it's the only one in our town. Uh, but be, and because of the restricted, uh, the COVID restrictions, he's losing money every single day he's open. And he said he's not going to be, he's not going to make it till spring. And, and this is a place that normally, is very busy and a pretty good money maker for him. And uh, so, I mean, like this is happening all over the country and, and we keep, yeah. I mean, we're, we're going to destroy the economy to the point where there's going to be nothing to come, come back to. Well, and I think that with something that you may have mentioned on our last full episode is that it's 50 plus percent of small businesses actually expect that they're not going to be, can be able to continue to be in business into the spring. Uh, yeah, no, it wasn't 50%. Um, I know in BC, 25% of all of BC's businesses, 25%, oh, 25, of, okay. 25% of all of the BC businesses in British Columbia uh, will not be in operation come spring. And, um, and, and that's, you know, that might be uh, uh, conservative even. I mean, it could be higher. I mean, Ontario and Quebec could certainly be higher. Um, 
because their 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 restrictions have been uh, much tighter and uh, have been in place a lot longer too. Uh, BC has overall been managed fairly well by by Dr. Bonnie Henry, um, but at some point we got to say, you know, like this is this is getting out of control. Yeah, absolutely right. So. All right, so from COVID, I want to move on to the city of Calgary briefly. And unfortunately, the lunacy from our part, our neighbors in the United States has made it across the border. The council in Calgary has voted, not only has the council voted to defund the Calgary Police Service, the Calgary Police Service chief has actually said he applauds the decision and is looking forward to reallocating some of the police budget to social services. Now, I didn't get to read anything more on what exactly the chief means by social services, but I'm just stunned that a police chief would say, yes, I can't wait to cut my budget. And I don't know if maybe he's trying to say, cut my budget and then try to pawn off this different number of calls to social workers or whomever, but this is just a horrible idea. And why would any chief want to go for that? To keep his job. Well, I guess. I mean, if he comes out opposing it, the next thing you know, he'll be forced to resign or be fired. Um, the thing is, Good point. is, yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem with this whole defund the police thing, I mean, Calgary's crime rate has been increasing. Mm-hmm. And and they're and they're calling for the defunding of the police service. I mean, what 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 services does the police provide, or do the police provide that will be given to say social workers who, by the way, are already extremely overworked um, because there aren't enough people who have the uh, mental and emotional fortitude to be able to do that job. True. Um, what 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 services do the police provide that you're going to pawn off to these? What domestic abuse, child abuse? Well, that's what I'm I mean, wondering. Really, like, domestic gonna, abuse gonna, and gonna, addictions calls. Or? You're, you're going to send a therapist or a, or a social worker to uh, a domestic abuse call? Really? Because like my uh, uh, one of my my closest friend uh, who is a uh, uh, an RCMP officer said that 90% of the calls that he deals with where a weapon is involved are domestic abuse calls. Oh, yeah. And I've got a a friend who's a military police officer, actually. And uh, he was saying that, again, like a lot of calls that these people go to, not so much here because we've got smaller military bases, but he says in Ontario, where he was originally from, he said a social worker would never be effective on their own, so they would need to have a police officer with them at the very least to de-escalate the situation. So he said, really, all you're doing is adding to your budget by adding a social worker. You're not, you, know, you shouldn't really be decreasing the police presence, he says, because it's going to get called in anyway. Yeah. Now this so whole, now it's just going to be late. This whole defunding the police is going to be – we are going to find in, in – I, I'm going to say in pretty short order uh, oh, yeah. that the, the, these are huge mistakes. I mean, the bi- the biggest thing is that 
police officers need more training, which requires more funding. We need more cops, not less. We need better trained cops, not less trained cops. We need training provided to them on an ongoing basis. Right now, cops receive very little, if any, training after they're done uh like for the RCMP, it's called Depo, and it's out in Regina, uh, where they where they do six months of training before they become a full fledged police officer. And uh, once that training is done, most cops receive very little to no training for the rest of their career. Yeah, that's true. And uh, my military police officer friend had alluded to that when we were chatting the one day because. With the military police, they're constantly training because they're part of the military. And like he was saying, like even with with self defense training, weapons training, this stuff that he does on a you know monthly and sometimes weekly basis, and the regular police services will come in once a year. Like there's a at the base close to Saskatoon here, they they have a, a sniper course for RCMP once a year. But with military police, well, they're doing firearms training all the time. Yeah. So so really, he said if uh, or civilian police forces could have the kind of training that military police have, it would actually be better for everybody because then not only would they be able to recognize the different kind of addictions problems that we see, he says they would also be, know how to deal with them on a, on, you know, a much better scale than what they do now as well. Yeah. And not just, not just uh, weapons training or even on how to deal with someone with an addiction. How about just people with mental disorders and knowing that, yelling at someone to get down on the ground who has schizophrenia is not going to work. Like you, you need to know how to handle different situations with people who have different uh, mental issues, who have different, uh, you know, addictions issues, who, you know, how to deescalate situations and not make them worse because you don't know how to deescalate those situations. Like, this kind of training should be ongoing. Like there's, oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a former Navy SEAL commander by the name of Jocko Willink, and he said that he believes police officers should be spending 20% of their time training. And uh, whether that's uh, deal, learning how to talk people down, how to, how to deal with situations without using violence, uh, firearms training, uh, how to defend themselves without like like hurting someone to the point where they uh die you know like uh learning how to um how just how to defend themselves in a hand-to-hand combat because most of the time it is going to be a hand-to-hand combat situation where because most cops in their entire careers don't pull their guns let let alone shoot them so, like, this yeah, is and, and it's something that they have to learn how to do uh, without using weapons, right? Well, exactly right, yeah. And uh, to defund the police just means you're taking away more of those opportunities that they could possibly have had for training, because now you're just going to be stretching your resources even that much, you know, more thin. Yeah, and the funny, and the funny thing is about all this, and, and not funny haha, but, you know, it's... The, the, the communities that these middle-class white woke counselors believe that they're, they're, you know, pandering to by 
this defund the police uh, movement are these minority groups and like black and uh, Hispanic and, uh, you know, Asian and, and all these different minority groups that these white woke liberals believe they're, they're pandering to or helping um, by, by doing this defund the police thing. They all want more police presence in their neighborhoods because when they pull the police out, the crime goes up. No, you're totally right. And, and, and you're right. It is funny that they can't, they can't seem to see the forest for the trees when you're right. It is largely the more marginalized communities in most cases that are saying, no, we want more police presence, not less, but no, because it's a popular slogan, defund the police. Let's, uh, let's show how woke we are and then not look at the statistics for cities in the States that have already defunded their police departments and see the, how the crime rate has just spiked right up. And why wouldn't it when criminals know that there's, that the cop is an hour away or longer? Yeah. yeah well, go, I mean, to, go to town. Well, I mean, what was the announcement that the Minneapolis police service uh, made this past week? They're hiring more cops after they defunded the police earlier this year. It's only been a few months. And now they're having to hire back all the cops that they fired and recruit more. And they're asking for police services outside of Minneapolis, St. Paul to come in and help. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Ridiculous. It's asinine. All right. So now our time is somewhat limited today. We should still get a a regular show in, but let's move along and talk about what we've beaten to death on this show, but it keeps on getting back up. Liberal Party of Canada corruption. Just yeah. when you thought you've heard it all, oh, boy, do we ever have more. I'm going to start with Don Valley East MP Yasmin Ratansi, who was recently kicked out of the Liberal Party caucus. Now, for any left-wingers listening to our show, I know you're going to want to know that she was the first female Muslim MP elected in Canada. The rest of us are just just would say, great, it's a female MP. But anyway, because skin color and religion is important to the left, we better make sure we put that in there. So what Ms. Ratansi do that got her kicked out of the Liberal Party caucus? Well, she had hired her sister to work in her constituency office in Toronto and admitted that she knew it was wrong and decided to do it anyway and tried to cover it up. And Justin Trudeau rightfully kicked her out of the caucus for it. And I actually applaud Mr. Trudeau for doing the right thing and telling her that was not acceptable and he was not going to put up with it. So she is now an independent MP. Yeah. Well, and this is where it goes uh, to what we said in the last full show we did two weeks ago, um, where I said that uh, one, one infraction, one uh, legal infraction, one uh, uh, ethics code violation should result in the expulsion of an MP. Not just from caucus, what? but from being an MP. So wait, that would actually indicate that, what have we said how many times in this show? Justin Trudeau obviously listens to our show. Okay. Because she, there she, there it was. She had her she got caught with her hand in the cookie jar. 
yeah. he let her go. So maybe we're having an effect on our supreme leader after all. Well, when we talk about what they did next, uh, we're going to learn that, no, they haven't learned anything. <laughs> That's true. And where are we going next? Well, the we documents. Do we want to... We documents. Well, the we documents. Yeah, they've they've kind of disappeared. Yeah, the, you know, and the finance committee had asked for a certain set of documents uh, for a speaker's list and how much these speakers were getting paid. And liberals continued to filibuster uh, through the committee and filibustering for those who aren't as politically schooled, let's just say, is when essentially the there'll be a group of members in the committee or parliamentarians who will just waste time. For example, in this latest filibuster of the finance committee, one of the committee members for the liberals read every name out of the phone book into a record, just, just to burn up enough time for the committee you know, session to expire. And so on top of liberal filibustering, the company that was handling speakers for the We charity just happened to have shredded a whole bunch of documents that the committee was looking for and counting on to do their work. Oops. Oh, that's convenient. Isn't it though? Yeah. Like th- this is, like I said, no, they, they, it just proves they haven't learned anything from listening to our show because if they, if they had, well, I mean, those documents would be available. Yep, that's right. And big surprise. Uh, now, I'd heard on the radio this morning, actually, there was talk about Margaret Trudeau again and how she was being paid $200,000 a year um, for for a retainer to go around with we and giving speeches and promoting events. Now, I'm not going to say that Margaret Trudeau isn't a fantastic public speaker. I have no idea, honestly, because I've never heard her. But to be making 200 grand a year just to be ready to go and give speeches, I'm going to say that's a pretty sweet gig, and I want that. That's Well, that's a lot more money than they said they had paid her. It is, yeah. It was because uh, originally they said they'd only paid her, was it a... <laughs> Was it hundred and something total anyway? Well, originally it was like thirty thousand dollars or something, and then right. then it went up from there, and it just seems like it keeps going up. It does, yeah, and uh, and I guess now we may never know exactly how much because all the documents have been shredded. All the documents have been shredded just so conveniently. Hmm. Yes, and now if this does that doesn't bake your bagels enough, as Dan Bongino would say. Let's talk about our illustrious finance minister for a moment. And just a quick fact, Canada has now gone 20 months without a budget. And Christopher Freeland, our finance minister and deputy prime minister, has said, well, that's all right. We're just going to keep on going. And she's really polarized in her statement about a, the lack of a budget. All she has said is, well, we'll do a lot more harm by not spending than we will by spending too much. And I thought it's not an either or. You could honestly cut back on spending, but nope, she wants to keep those taps open. And Pierre Polyev, who you and I both admire, caught her in the House of Commons. And and uh, I wish I actually could play a clip because he was questioning her about the size of the debt. And 
he just wanted to quantify, you know, how much are we in debt? And, you know, Peter, Pierre Polyev, he's very to the point and he's very shrewd. And she couldn't actually give an answer. She couldn't tell him the scope and size of our debt, or she, maybe she didn't want to, but she, uh, he pressed her and she actually could not define the level of debt this country is in. And that scares the hell out of me. Yeah. Well, as the finance minister, she should know that. And hey, I'm not the finance minister. And I can tell you that all public debt in Canada is equal to 97% of GDP. And that actually hurts my 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 pit in my stomach to hear that figure. Yeah, because I mean those that's 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 insolvency numbers. Yeah, well, I mean before COVID, I believe it was eighty percent or eighty one percent of GDP, and now we're at ninety seven percent of GDP. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and to put it in perspective. Yeah, I mean, to put it in perspective, most Canadian households are in the range of 150 to 170%. And I'm not saying the Canadian government has the capacity to go that high because with Canadians, I mean, they put our mortgage, our car payments and whatnot into those figures. Yeah. But we we as a government can't sustain that kind of money. Like, uh, I, was, I heard a figure that the Trudeau government is actually borrowing to the tune of $1 billion a day over and above what their regular expenses are. Oh, my God. Yeah, and, it's, just, it's crazy. I, I mean, and, we can't do this. And here's the thing, Canada. the like Investors are not buying Canadian bonds. So who is buying Canadian bonds? Because you must sell Canadian bonds in order to borrow money that's what it is right. and so who who is buying the bonds it's the bank of canada which is the organization that prints the money like that's who's buying them and that's not a good thing because you don't want a non-investor to be buying your country's bonds because what that does is it actually drops the value because of your of your currency because nobody has any confidence in your currency or else they'd be buying your bonds. Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, I know I think it was you that had turned me on to uh, Michael Campbell's podcast, Money Talks, yeah. and he goes really in-depth with a lot of the, the topics that we discuss with Canada's debt and whatnot. And he's, I can't say that he's completely negative about Canada's debt situation, but I mean, he has been setting off alarm bells for an awful long time. And he's getting to the point now that I've listened to his last few episodes and he's really starting to ring the bells that, you know, Canada, you've got to rein in all this spending. And of course the government isn't listening. No. And, um, and the thing is, is that he doesn't, it isn't just him saying this. That's the thing. If it was one person right. saying that, you could write them off as being, you know, a kook. But it's not just him. It's all all of these, like, financial advisors and all these investors. And, and uh, I call them, my term for them are financial gurus, right? And yeah. all these financial gurus, all of them are saying, 
that we're headed for catastrophe if this doesn't get under control. And we're already heading to a somewhat of a catastrophe, regardless of whether they get it under control or not. And it's if they keep going at the rate they're going, it's going to be absolutely paralyzingly devastating. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. And uh, and this government doesn't know how to rein in spending, because even when times were good through the first three years of the the, the first Trudeau mandate, yeah. they were still, you know, borrowing us into the hole when they should have been paying down debt and preparing us for the bad times, which we're, we're in right now, but they haven't got a clue how to do that. Well, no, because apparently an economic uh, GDP growth rate of 3.5% annual was considered uh, in the liberal caucus room to be uh, bad times. Oh my gosh! Well, that, I mean, why else would they be spent borrowing thirty billion dollars a year um, when when you know the e- economy was actually growing? I mean, it must yeah, have, well, it must have right. been considered bad times in in the caucus room because they were they thought we needed stimulus. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, we've got stimulus, and we've got a lot, a lot of debt, and nothing to show for yeah. it. Yeah, I mean that's like all, the right, whole, so we've, all we've, the COVID. All the COVID uh, bailout money um, has cost, I believe it has cost every Canadian or every Canadian household uh, $40,000. And Yeah, I did hear that. And I'm I'm thinking, has your family seen $40,000 of help? Mine hasn't. So where the hell is that money gone? Oh, yeah. No, great point. And uh, actually, I want to take a sidebar because you reminded me of something else when you talked about the COVID relief. Um, again, Pierre Polyev had put a video out talking about the government's latest talk about small business rent relief. And we're now, like we say, eight months in and this, they still haven't found a feasible you know, solution to this problem. So now the government's latest rent relief program is only available to those small businesses who have paid their rent up to date. So How does that make sense? We'll help you with your rent as long as you paid your rent. We'll help you with your <laughs> rent as long as you don't need help making your rent. Exactly, yeah. So wow. I don't understand why this government can't get this right. Well, because they're incompetent, and they've been incompetent well, since day one. Oh, totally. I mean, it's ridiculous. They, they they actually did a good job on getting CERB money out and whatnot, and I, I applaud them for that. Not that I agree necessarily with the CERB, but they did a good job in rolling that out, but they have completely dropped the ball when it comes to business, and we need those small businesses. Uh, what, what was the figure? 60-some percent of people work for small business, or was it higher? Yeah, it's 67 percent. 67, yeah. I knew you knew the number, yeah. so – yeah. Okay. So anyway, that sidebar done. I want to take one more little chunk of liberal corruption, and then we probably would have to wrap it yeah. up here. So I talked about Christopher Freeland, our illustrious finance minister. Well, in the latest episode of They All Know Each Other, Christopher Freeland's policy advisor, whose name is Leslie Church, just happens to be married to a man named Seamus Murphy. Now, Mr. Murphy is a lobbyist, registered at least, unlike we. 
But his job, he lobbies federal officials on behalf of his corporate clients, which just happened to include a, a company that is bidding on a vaccine for COVID-19. <laughs> they all know each other, people. They all know each other. Wow. Wow. Yep. But of say. course, they found no improprieties yet. Yeah. That's all I can say is wow. Yeah. It, 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 what do we say all the time? It never ends with these no, people. It doesn't. Like, it's just, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's every show we've actually got another brand new example of liberal corruption for you. And actually, I'll squeeze this in because I know you have to run. Um, and I texted you today about our illustrious head of state. Ms. Julie yeah. Payette, Canada, you have to know what Ms. Payette has planned for Rideau Hall, her home in which she has not moved in yet because she still wants more renovations. She wants you and I, Canada, to write her a check for $60,000 to make, quote, a mission control boardroom and a further $11,000 to make a space exhibit room in Rideau Hall, having much hashtag ego, like, wow. Yeah, what, what does she need? This, this yeah. commander for, I mean, she's she's a figurehead. Well, like, exactly, and mission control, like, I realize that, yes, she was an astronaut, but I don't think that anybody else who is going to Rideau Hall really cares to have a $60,000 mission control boardroom that we will never hold meetings well, I in. Think, honestly, I think that her head is still in the clouds. Yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it. <laughs> well, Canada, that's all we got for all right. to this show. So uh, we're going to have to sign off now and we'll, uh, we'll come back to you next week with another full show and in between with more rants. So good night from Lewis out here in BC. And Tony here in Saskatchewan. Good